I'm Skip Papersley with an important news bulletin. Booked episodes available everywhere. Listen to Booked on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, The Zoom Marketplace, and BookedPodcast.com. You can even hear Booked episodes playing through the conference room door of James Patterson's lawyer's office. This has been Skip Papersley reminding you where you can find episodes of Booked. Thank you. Welcome to Booked, the Noir at the Bar Sessions. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. We're bringing another interview tonight from an author from Noir at the Bar 2, the anthology uh, edited by Jed Ayers and Scott Phillips. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about the history of Noir at the Bar and our involvement with it, uh, or I guess our interactions with it, not necessarily involvement, uh, you can check out our Matthew C. Funk episode. We talked at long length about... Uh, about the history of it and everything, and we just don't want to bore you episode after episode. Really? Is that our goal, not to do that? Have you listened <laughs> to the last 105 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you think it was boring? I think there are times where we could have picked it up a little bit. Mm. Or read like books the, that were good instead of well, that. Zoo. Well, or you can go back and listen to those first few episodes where like, we were just basically reading off the screen and we're very stoic the whole time. Do you remember that? Yeah, I wonder what it sounds like for us to be terrified. Um, go back and listen to episode number two. <laughs> don't don't do that. We've got many better episodes to recommend for you. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about um, Noir at the Bar too. Here is a small portion, the most safe for work portion that we could find of Jed Air's forward to Noir at the Bar too. The first Noir at the Bar anthology featured a broad range of noir flavors. Our authors busted the seams of genre in a dozen different directions, and with this, the second schizo vision of crime fiction for now, we may have actually broken noir. Yes, some of the stories in this collection you'd be hard-pressed to find any prosecutable actions in, but they're steeping in transgression and moral failure up to their tits. The writers got the wrong right, and that's worth more to us than a hundred brilliantly plotted whodunits. Don't worry, we brought the violence, too. We won't leave you blue-balled for mayhem. And sex? You bet. In fact, you may wish we hadn't. Sorry, you're stuck with it. It cannot be unread. I want to say something about that little snippet. It's it's really good to read with your eyes. Way difficult to read out loud. It, it is. And that's, uh, that's good, because, you know, I'm thinking most people are going to read this not out loud. That's especially... True. Especially due to some of the content. This is not stuff you want other people to hear you reading. <laughs> yep, yeah. Unless you're in the confines of the Meshuga Cafe, because that's where all of these guys have read, and probably a lot of these stories. I mean, I know for a fact some of these stories were, were read there. Yep. So the interview we're bringing you tonight is with John Horner Jacobs, and here's a little bit about him. The uh, we, we piece this bio together off of his website. John Horder Jacobs is the author of the novels Southern Gods and This Dark Earth. His young adult series, The Incarcerado Trilogy, did I say that right? No, maybe. No. Comprised of The Twelve-Fingered Boy, Incarcerado, and The End of All Things will be published by, I'm going to get this wrong for sure, Carol Carol Rota Labs, an imprint of Lerner Publishing. Well, there you (laughs) go. Um, John was... uh was generous enough with his uh, with his time to participate in one of our Noir at the Bar sessions. So uh, let's get you right to that interview. 
John, thanks so much for taking some time to come on and talk to us here at Booked. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about how you came to be involved with Jed, Scott, and Noir at the bar? You know, it's, it's, I have to sort of dredge my memory for this. Um, a while back, I co-founded Needle with Steve Weddle. And since then, I've had to, Needle. Um, it's a magazine of noir crime. And um, somehow, and my agent is um, Stacia Decker, and she is, uh, her baby is like crime well, she loves crime and, and, you know, sort of mystery. And uh, I'm sort of, I, I, don't write, I don't write a lot of that, but I, I've always enjoyed reading it. And somehow we got together and then I just sort of entered this crime fiction world, even though I don't really write that much of it, because I was the creative director on uh, Needle. And somehow I, uh, you know, through Twitter and the social networking stuff i became familiar with uh jed and scott phillips and um you know the whole the whole crew and i met them one time we went up to uh oh well uh tom franklin uh, was reading in fayetteville and so uh jed through twitter said hey you need to go up to fayetteville because i know it's in your neck of the woods and i think he used to live there so i went up and met those guys and we you know went to the reading and then afterwards we all went back and there's a picture of jed and me and tom franklin and scott somewhere on facebook you know laughing we'd had a few drinks and um uh that's really how i got to really sort of got to know them i didn't attend a noir at the bar until maybe a a year later um it was on the advent of my first book coming out southern gods and uh I had just gotten a check, like, and so I took my whole family up to uh, up to uh, St. Louis, and um, it was the first bit of publishing money I ever earned. And uh, and I we did the we did the I did the event, and it was it was a lot of fun. I got to meet a bunch of people I'd never met before that were in the crime community that I, I that I'm friends with online, like Dana Shea and uh, Frank Bill and. Uh, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And, oh, and uh, Matthew McBride. So uh, it was a good time. So is that who you read with? You read with Dan and uh, Frank and Matthew? I don't I don't think Matthew read. I'm trying my, – my memory is a little bit hazy here. Maybe he wasn't there at that nor at the bar, but I did – I read with Frank read, and then I read. Or no, I read. I think I asked to open up because I knew that if I just – you know – my deal on reading is I'm not, I don't really like reading. I feel I'm a little bit anxious about my Southern accent. So when I do read, I feel like I sound sort of yokel-ish. So I also, I have been to so many readings where I did not enjoy the reading that I, my sort of philosophy is I'm going to read some one thing. It's going to be a, a story in and of itself complete. And I'm just going to read it and get off. I'm not going to like linger or you know, it's short and sweet. So I didn't read any excerpt from my novel. I didn't do, I just read a sh uh, flash fiction piece, which was like 1,100 words. Uh, that was the piece that is going in uh, Noir the Bar 2. Yeah, well, and there was one other author, and I'm not going to mention any names, but he was, wow, he was, he was just hammered. And he sort of, he uh, brought, uh, his reading um, did not go so well. And it, <laughs> 
it was it was sort of a debacle. Uh, these things happen. Public reading and public speaking, not for everybody. I've often said that about us here on the show. We shouldn't be talking in front of people. <laughs> um, can you give uh, the listeners your take on your story that appears in Noir at the Bar 2, Glossolalia? Yes. Um, you know, it's it's not really a, it's not really a noir piece. It was done in a uh, a flash fiction challenge, I think, that Dan O'Shea threw on his blog, and it was about like you, you know a murder in the cathedral or or, or church, you know, like a murder, you know, in, in relation to religion. And I took it in the um, loosest sort of way. And the, the story is about a girl who kills her uh, Pentecostal minister through some sort of religious fervor, and she's sort of like a prophet, you know, and it's it, it's, it's a weird little piece. Um, I, I don't know about the applicability of it in Noir at the Bar, because it doesn't feature guns or guys saying, you know, saying cool, tough things. It's just about a little... <laughs> But that's what it, that's what it's about. And glossolalia is the word means uh, speaking in tongues. What I would say is that the we uh, Livius and I went down to North the Bar um, the end of February this year, I think, beginning of March, end of February. And of the people that read, I, I think that I think it's easy to take liberty, liberties with whether it's an actual noir story or not. But there's definitely a feel for like an overall kind of like tone to the stories that that um, that people read just kind of a darkness or some something kind of wicked or something. And I'd say your story fits right in with the type of stuff that we saw when we were there. Well, good. Awesome. I, you know, I don't want it to stick out like, you know, a sore thumb in the collection. I hope it, I hope it works, you know, as a, within the whole fabric of the book. I, so I have to ask the, so we read the story. Um, have, you oh, ever okay. been, have you ever been to a snake handling sermon? No, no. I, I have been around Pentecostals. I went to college in a little town called Batesville, Arkansas, and they sort of frightened me a little bit. And um, I, I, all of that I pulled from my imagination, pretty much. I did research on, you know, the culture and, uh, you know, the, the way they did it. And that, that's, that's pretty much just the way I imagine it. It's just so goddamn crazy sounding, you know. That's like just... <laughs> it is. It is like, just batshit. Like Sorry. praise God, I've got like four snakes. You know, it just doesn't seem like I, I don't. I don't know. It just seems very weird. Yeah, yeah. The like, I mean, it's just you know taking the uh, taking that sort of the the whatever the the parts of the Bible that are are like operating instructions as as like the way we should govern our lives like 2000, 3000 years after they were written. It's just, it's just silly. I mean, you know, um, but people do it. I mean, they don't let women speak, you know, they, you know, if you take up servants, they shall not hurt you. It's like, okay, you, you're crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, I was raised atheist, so I'm not really too familiar with, church at all but i just imagine that it's just like that's kind of like the extreme example of like you know this my faith will protect like in a very literal kind of interpretation of my faith will protect me i don't know i just don't yeah it doesn't compute for me well it, yeah and i mean i don't want to get up on, on, a, on a, i've been told never to discuss uh, religion or politics online because i'm not very good at both of them but <laughs> it is it seems like you know 
it's just easy. It's an easy out. It's like I won't question anything. I'll just believe, you know, what people tell me, and do what they tell me. And you know, it's just it's it's and it's also very isolationist. And I, you know, God, we don't need any more of that. <laughs> Switching gears just a little bit. And actually, this is gonna. This whole conversation will probably be tempered by the fact that I watched your conversation with S.G. Brown. But uh, we had um, Scott on for an interview after we reviewed his book, Lucky Bastard, and um, he had a lot of. We we asked him kind of at the end of our talk, you know, if he had anything he wanted to to talk about, and he he mentioned your book, This Dark Earth, um, which is a bit of a zombie book. Um, yes, it is totally a so, zombie book. So what happens is when someone writes anything about zombies that kicks open a door that's probably never going to ever be closed again um, about just talking about zombies. Uh, so uh, let's talk. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, your book to start off? And we'll yeah, try I, we'll I, try I, not to pigeonhole you too much as a zombie writer. Yeah, that, no, that's fine. You know, I uh, my first book, Southern Gods, was uh, it's a Lovecraftian book. You know, it's like crime noir meets Lovecraft. And uh, I thought I would never ever hear the end of um, of you know questions about the elder gods, but that's until my zombie novel came out, and then now I'm totally zombie <laughs> zombie question. But um, uh, yeah, this Dark Earth is my newest release. Um, it's it's got zombies. It's been released with pretty pretty good reviews, you know, across the board. Um, uh, it is sort of my take. It starts off really as a as a traditional zombie novel, but it, at some point it veers off into into the territory I was really more interested in uh, uh, exploring as a writer, which is more about uh, you know what makes a society and what will you do to preserve it and what will you give up. And um, you know when I originally envisioned writing it, I thought I thought it was going to be like a mosaic novel, like the things they carried um, by Tim O'Brien, which um, which each section there's only six sections or maybe seven sections in the book, and I wanted each section to sort of function as its own story that was complete in itself. I don't know if I really achieved that. It, ten, it I mean I think it works it, as a narrative whole. Um, uh, and it allowed me to, to sort of stretch my legs doing a, a lot of different things I hadn't done before. Um, when I, I wrote Southern Gods and sort of the traditional third-person limited point of view, and this one I jump all over the place. I'm first-person present tense. I am third-person past tense. I am third-person present tense. But it works within the, the course of the book. Um, and it's a way to, to sort of play with pacing and the, and the engagement of the reader. Um but uh, it uh, it features uh, really a, a group of people who um, try to reestablish civilization after a limited nuclear war and a zombie outbreak on a bridge in Arkansas. And uh, it's sort of that story coupled with, uh, you know, a coming-of-age story of a, of a boy who sort of t uh, looks... They're, they're looking to, to become the next leader of the, the community. And, uh, you know, it's also sort of a rumination of, like, you know, the book takes a trajectory where it's like it's sort of high tech in the beginning, and then it's sort of survival, and then it's sort of frontier life, and then it becomes medieval by the end. And um, which you know, I got to sort of explore ideas I had about um, you know what makes society and 
like if any sh major shock to the system occurs to civilization, how quickly will we resort to, you know, little chieftains and little fiefdoms and a feudal way of life? So that's really wh where this dark earth is. It's, it's less, I mean, I love the zombies because, you know, zombies are awesome. But it's less, <laughs> it's less about the zombies really, you know, it could be, you know, it could be any sort of, uh, I've said this before in panels, the zombies are like, a weather. I mean, the, it, they're really bad weather. I mean, you know, you could have Key Largo set in a zombie apocalypse, if you think about it like that. Or, the, you know, you could have the same sort of zombie apocalypse. I, you know, I like zombies, so that's what I used. And I, at the time I wrote it, I did not did not know, I, I did not realize how many zombie books and movies were out there. Uh, I wrote it sort of in a vacuum, and then later I discovered how how overdone they are. So I hope I, I wasn't trying to reinvent the zombie. I was just trying to tell a story that I would enjoy, and that's really what I did. Well, the nice thing about zombies is the best zombie stories are, like you said, kind of a vehicle, you know, for a different story. So that's uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, Cemetery Man. It's the American thing. And I tell people, like, it's kind of a zombie story. It's really a love story, but they're zombies. Like, zombies are just the catalyst to have something else happen. So it's, you know, as cool as zombies are, you know, and like that scene where your, you know, protagonist is cornered and he's got to figure out a way, it's really all about the people. And that's what can make a really, really good zombie book. Right, yeah. I totally agree. And I like that movie, especially the girl. Mm -hmm. She's... she's easy on the eyes yeah yeah she's hard not to like <laughs> yeah so you talked about two of your books but you've also got uh a, a, like a young adult series as well right that's it's coming up in the future yes yeah i've got a a, a young adult novel about um called the 12 fingered boy it's about juvenile delinquents who are incarcerated in the uh, uh casimir pulaski juvenile detention center here in arkansas and it's about a kid who's sort of a fast-talking, candy-dealing, smart-ass who gets assigned uh, a cellmate who he discovers has 12 fingers and um, possibly has superpowers. And um, it's, it is a, a young adult novel, but it, it, you know, I think it'll appeal to adults. Um, it is dark, and it's different. You know, writing for, for young adults, I had to do a few things differently. Uh, I think it's some of my best writing, so I'm very proud of it, and I'm very excited about it coming out. I just finished the second book in the series, and I'm starting, or once I get my editorial feedback uh, from my editor, I will uh, start on the third and hopefully have the, the whole series wrapped by early next year. Not early next year, but, you know, spring. You mentioned having to do some things differently. What are some of those challenges, if you could share? <laughs> well, um... In young adult uh, in, in young adult fiction, you can't. First off, you have to you have to read young adult fiction and you have to enjoy it, which I do. Um, it can't be sort of like I'm going to write a young adult book because that's where the money is. Um, there's a few things uh, you have to do, which is sometimes be more honest than you want to be. Like in a lot of fiction, the author tends to be dishonest about uh, you know the reality of emotional content for their characters. It's convenient that, um, I don't know, I mean, this is an example. It's convenient that a woman might uh, become enraged and uh, vengeful, and I've done this, after, you know, some bad thing happens to her. I mean, it could be rape or it could be, like, someone in her family's hurt, and she becomes this, ven this force of vengeance. 
when in essence, you know, that's a real easy sort of thing to choose a character to do instead of like maybe a more realistic um, depiction of how you know a man or anyone uh, deals with uh, a horrible event, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you when you write about young adult issues, um, you have to you have to put them put the uh, the narrative uh, in the if it's a first it's a first person narration like my book is. You have to put the character in the ship. It can't be told from like some great remove. Like when I was a boy, these were the events that occurred, mm-hmm. and this is you know this is how I grew up or whatever. It, it has to be like immediate and it has to be relevant. And 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 uh, young folks, I don't know if you. I mean, I remember just totally being distrustful of anything an adult told me. So my bullshit detector was always on, and and you can't really try to moralize or preach or anything you, you know mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a lot of ways you also you have to um you have to be in some ways harder than you would for adults but you can't you have to you know you have to know when to pull the camera away and when to leave it on and sometimes you know you can do anything in young adult books but getting them sold and marketed is you know, different, but, um, so those are some of the things I had, I, I mean, I don't know if I've done a good job talking about it, but those are some of the things I had to consider when writing it. You know, I actually paid, I, you know, I, I had, uh, looked at the, the young adult books that I enjoy and that I need, and I looked, they were all sort of shorter. So I wrote, you know, I, I tried to write it in the sweet spot in, um, of length and which was about 60,000 words. It's not, it's about the same as a crime novel. And, and I think, you know, they have there. There are some similarities. So, it's a fast-paced, you know, nice little little yarn, and um, I'm very proud of it. So you had to do a uh, reading of young adult novels to kind of understand those, you know, how, how they're presented and everything. Any suggestions of of what are better examples of young adult novels? What are better examples of young adult novels? Well, there's a, a great there's a great one. Um, that I really, really like called Brooklyn Burning. It's actually from my publisher. It's about the sort of a street, a street kid in, in Brooklyn in, in summer who has a band. And it's really interesting because the, the author never really tells you his or her gender. And, and you know, kids at that, in, in their teens can be androgynous. Um, it's, it's by a guy named Steve Bresnoff. Uh, I really enjoyed this book, uh, you know, and I like other things that are a l- little bit more fanciful. There's, um, uh, you know, like, I, you know, I honestly, I actually read all the Harry Potter stuff, you know, the, 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 um, the Hunger Games, I, you know, the, the, those are all fun books. I didn't really like Hunger Games as much as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a British no- uh, novelist who writes these things called The, the Spooks Apprentice. Um, which sort of gets more into my territory that I like, that are really fast-paced, uh, wonderful stories. I mean, uh, I can think of some more there. Oh, uh, I, pr- I would say that uh, Stephen Gould's book Jumper um, was uh, probably an influence on The Twelve-Fingered Boy. While the movie they made from it was terrible, the book is wonderful. It's about this horribly abused kid who... Uh, develops this power to teleport because he's been so physically abused. So whenever his father is um, 
coming for him, he, he just discovers that he can move his body away. And, uh, and then they explore that. And that's really fantastic. Really. I mean, that, that, that everyone should read it. It's, it's like the pacing is amazing. The, uh, setup, the movie was so bad. (laughs) Wonderful. I remember the movie and thinking it was kind of a cool concept, but the delivery was a little, little off. Yeah, the book is fantastic. Uh, then, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, um, those are just a few, a few of them. I, I, I have to like go look at my shelves to like to uh, figure out more. Did you um, happen to read any of those Artemis Fowl books? I did, and I read them with my kids. So um, those are a little bit. Those are, I think, more middle grade. They're a little uh-huh. bit for young, even young, like young adults, probably like twelve. To sixty four at this at this stage. <laughs> reason I asked there's a specific reason that I asked that is um, because Owen Culfer, the guy who wrote those, um, obviously went on to write the sixth Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book, and then he also he he's kind of branched off into full on. He did a crime fiction book called Plugged that we reviewed uh, last year, which was really not that great. But I really enjoyed his Hitchhiker book, so I was trying to figure out if anybody knew how those, you know, Artemis Fowl books stood up. I mean, well, they're they're great, actually. I, I when I was talking about them, I uh, I, I mixed them up with. Uh, there's this other book that I read with my kids, Septimus Heap. The Artemis Fowl books are awesome um, because they are a lot of them. They, they bring like magical elements in, but a lot of them, like the first one, I, I didn't go on to read any of the other ones with my kids. They they just did it themselves. But the first one is like a heist novel. Um, it's it's like it's like a heist novel and a um, and a police procedural, coupled with sort of an uh, you know an assault on precinct precinct uh, thirteen or whatever, like all blended in one, but with with magical creatures. It, it's really a it, you know, and it's really a fantastic sort of matchup of ideas. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's good to hear because that his 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 book plugged was really disappointing. You know, after knowing you know his his notoriety for his Artemis Fowl series, which I haven't had a chance to read, and then reading that Hitchhiker's book, which was actually really really good. So, yeah. I, I think you I think you'd enjoy uh, the the Artemis Fowl. You know, it's cool that he he actually he took a character and made him a you know evil mastermind instead of like. You know, he he took the other other side of the story, so it's it's a um, it's it's a it's really fun. You should read it. Cool. We noticed that both of your uh, both of your novels have just really really kick ass covers, which is something that we felt we don't uh, we don't talk enough about on the show. The covers of the books we review. How does one get so lucky to have two such great covers? Well, um, there's a story in it. Um, uh, well, on this dark earth. It's just, I, I just lucked out. I mean, they just, they designed it, and it, I think they hit it on the head. Uh, my first book, are, are you talking about Southern Gods? Or, yeah. Um, yes. On Southern Gods, it was uh, it was more of a process. Um, you know, they could just give me any, um, they, they could have just, you know, contractually, they could just slap whatever they want on there. I mean, I have no say on it, but they were kind enough to let me be involved, and they probably regretted that later. Because I'm a designer, <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I'm a, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I'm an award-winning designer, and um, I, uh, I had some strong 
thoughts about it to the extent, like after I got their first one, I just went and said, listen, uh, this is what it I redesigned it. I just designed it and said it should look like this. And they took it back and they didn't use the fonts I had chosen, but they pretty much did my design after that. Um, no, no, I mean, with with my minor variations, they weren't going to let me just design it. But um, but a lot, but you know, major element, the major, the best elements, and the major elements they did. So that was good. And sometimes, you know, that was a point where I was like, you know, the first when I got the first cover, I, I honestly was horrified, and I had the sinking feeling, like, look, I can't, you know. The, the the author is the major salesperson for the book. You know, the, they're the person who advocates it. They're the person who's who, who is the major driving sales force behind the book, despite what you know, despite sales and marketing of any publisher, big or small. It's the author, and I was just like, I cannot get behind this book if this is the cover. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I would I would be ashamed of it. And, and anyway. So they were very kind to, to redo it, but at, at Simon and Schuster, um, you know, they said uh, they said here's your cover, and I, I made a suggestion there. They said no, 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 here's your cover, <laughs> and uh, you know, so it, it, luckily it was a great cover. You know, it's very popping. I, I like it that it's just black and white, the, the cover part of it. So, you know. oh, see. <laughs> Over here at our podcast, we we have absolutely no design skills at all. So anytime we have to present something, it's just black background, white text. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's effective. Yeah, I mean, it, it's high contrast. Yeah, and here's here's a little inside scoop. It's really cheap to get stuff printed when you get black and white. <laughs> that's true. It is, that's yeah, that's I, the other. I mean, it's that's in on needle. That's what the interior was. Is just black and white, black and white photos, black you know, black on white. But the cover was the covers were color. <laughs> so you kind of answered this already, I believe. But um, besides what we already talked about, anything else you're currently working on that you want to talk about? Uh, sure. Um, so I finished the second book in my young adult trilogy called uh, it, it's called Incarcerado, and the actual trilogy is called the Incarcerado trilogy because it I guess the major theme is is like you know the you know. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a teen, I felt really caged and limited by my society, by my culture. Just, you know, I felt trapped. And that's really the major theme that, that goes through it. Um, uh, I have another book that, I, and that's really what I'm working on, but I do have another book that I've written that is out. Um, it looked like it was going to be bought, and then it didn't, and then we're still trying to figure it out, but it's called The Incorruptibles. Which is this sort of Western, alternate Roman history, epic fantasy meets you know uh, what my agent calls demon punk. It's sort of a mashup of all the things I like. It's it's uh, a Western sort of that's set in a world where uh, the Roman Empire never fell, and it runs on infernal combustion. And when I say uh, infernal, it means <laughs> that like uh, you know. Steamboats have a, a, a demon strain inside of them, and energy is uh, harnessed. Or um, you know, trains are the same way, and you know that's the way the world works. And so that's um, that's sort of my baby right now. And I've got two more books planned on it, and I'm sort of I'm 
um, plotting those right now in the break I have. So that I'm, that's sort of like you can look for that in the next year or so. It should I should hopefully I'll have news soon on it. And that's sort of my my baby that I I look forward to just sort of dust you know get away from being a either Lovecraft or zombie guy or <laughs> guy and more into you know some areas I want to explore. Well, now you're going to be that Roman Empire demon combustion guy. I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's worse things you could be. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll inhabit a very small um, <laughs> uh, space. There's, I don't think there's a lot of people who write about that. But um, <laughs> well, not the single, yet. The single expert in the entire world on that on that subject, right here. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug before we let you get on with your day? No, I can't think of anything. I mean, um, you know, I'll, I always like comments um, thrown at me on Twitter, my website, which is johnhornerjacobs.com. And, uh, you know, I, I other than Noir at the Bar, too, that would be great. I mean, I hope folks check that out. And uh, that's that's about all. Very good. I was going to ask you, uh, our final question is always, where can people find you online? But uh, I think you just took care of that. Right. And, and <laughs> uh, important to note that my middle name is H-O-R-N-O-R. We'll almost, almost like horror, but strike the second R, replace with N. We'll definitely make sure we have links to everything in the post for this episode. Awesome. I really appreciate it. John, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day to come talk to us. Man, thank you. All right. Big thanks to John Horner Jacobs for coming on. The first thing I want to say is that when we were in initial contact with him to set up this interview, he was nice enough to offer to do like a video uh, video chat with us. And just the, the prospect of it was terrifying because I don't think Livius and I want to look at each other any more than we absolutely need to. Well, there's that. And here's the other problem. What the listeners didn't hear is how many times you and I had to take the top of this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like in in an audio in a world of audio only, you can take things as many times as you need to and just edit around it in video unless, you know, it, it's just not possible. So, yeah, but um, very cool. You definitely want to go to his website and check out his interview with S.G. Brown, two of our most recent interviewees um, talking to one another. Um, Rob, you watched the whole thing, right? How was it? Yeah, it clocks in at about an hour and 15 minutes. And um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, they talk about their books and, you know, um, they really just kind of talk about practically everything, including like bicycles, having pets. Uh, but yeah, it, it, overall, really interesting. And it's cool to see authors just kind of talk about the craft together sounds very cool i just haven't gotten around to sitting in front of my computer for that long to watch it but it's definitely on my list of things to do do you what do you do when you're sitting in front of your computer for that long um usually i'm well i'm usually talking to you <laughs> Um, and then there's facebook here's the whole thing i used to watch i used to watch tv shows while driving <laughs> And I've given that up because seriously, I could totally put on Vimeo and just watch that on my way to work. But it's probably a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. So, oh, hey, another thing that uh, uh, I was thinking about for Mr. Mr. Jacobs here. Nice that we got to talk to someone who's into uh, writing some young adult work because we don't really come across that too often in the stuff that we read. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the thing, too. Um, Paul Tremblay just mentioned 
Um, we had him on a few episodes ago. Oh, um, yeah. His his collaboration with uh, with Stephen Graham Jones, which sadly doesn't come out until 2014, um, which is called The Unlikely But Totally True Adventures of Floating Boy and Anxiety Girl. How cool of a title is that? It's as cool as a young adult book, I think, can can be titled. Yeah, so um, so there's that. There's uh, the incarcerate. I'm going to go with incarcerado. I know that people will say that they just heard him say what it was, but we're not doing this at the exact same <laughs> time. So, um, but it was cool to to hear him talk about that too. So we may have to look into a little more young adult fiction. I think. Well, yeah. I mean, we we've branched out in different directions. I mean, we've we've read something as different as 50 shades of gray for the show. So I don't see why we wouldn't branch out and try a little young adult fiction and see how, uh, see how that goes. 2014, man. Or earlier with our, our <laughs> or, incarcerado trilogy. I know. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to do a little bit of that. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for this John Horner Jacobs interview, which is part of our, which is the, the final edition of our noir at the bar sessions. Uh, keep, an eye out for our overall review of the Noir at the Bar 2 anthology. Uh, until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Libya Snedden. Keep reading. Keep reading.